how sweet the sound. And what we've been doing is we've been going through some uh, really iconic hymns, the songs of our faith that talk about our God, our Jesus, and what he has for you. And so we talked about Amazing Grace, which was really, really great. We talked, um, we talked about, uh, what, what did we talk about last week? Someone help me out. Come on, you guys remember? What is it? What a friend we have in Jesus. We talked about him, and we talked about that we have the privilege of carrying our burdens to prayer, and that we shouldn't actually downsize prayer. Prayer is one of the biggest things that we should be going through. In fact, I would dare to say this. Prayer should be our number one thing that we do immediately when we're facing good times and bad times. Too many times I think we run to social media, we run to um, the next gossip person that we gossip to, or any of those things. I want to encourage you prayer is powerful. And if it's important enough to worry about, it's important enough to what? Pray about. So I encourage you guys to do that. You can catch up all things on the Rock Church, uh, the Rock NP. Everything's recorded, including uh, this sermon. But today we're starting a uh, a new hymn called I'll Fly Away. Uh, This hymn is super fun to sing. It's super fun to play. In fact, towards the end of service, we're going to mix up just a little bit. Uh, Right before we leave, we're going to leave with this song. This song uh, is kind of a bluegrassy hymn. It's got a lot of different styles to sing and play with. But the words that embody this hymn are words that I think we need to pay a little attention to. The song, I'll Fly Away. It's easy to get caught in the funness of this song. It's easy to get caught in the awesome kind of rhythm and blues of of clapping along with the song, but the words to this hymn are something huge, something that we need to pay attention to. This hymn, just to put it simply, talks about eternity. Well, Vaughn, every song talks about eternity. I get that, but this song talks about the second coming where he takes us home to eternity. And for us, that is massive, or it should be in our faith. And so we're actually going to talk about that. Um, someone asked me, uh, Vaughn, what's kind of a big concern as a pastor? Uh, and many other pastors actually share the same, same concern. It's not going to be a big aha moment, or it might be with you. Um, but uh, here's my biggest concern uh, with the church today. There's a lot of things happening in the church world. If you're in tune with the church stuff and church business, a lot of crazy things are happening. But the biggest thing that I worry about the church and I worry about us Christians, is this, that Christians would love this world too much. My biggest concern is that Christians would fall in love in this world, would fall in love with this world too much. What do you mean? I'm trying to figure out how to put it in words. There's a point in our walk with faith, that we become too obsessed about with what people think about us and what God thinks about us. And I would say that's falling in love with this world too much. There's a point in this time where we're so worried about the things that we collect and what God has called us to. That is falling in love with this world too much. The biggest one is this. This, this, is, this is the one that kind of lights a fire underneath me. Uh, they decide to stay in comfort rather than live out their calling. And that's what I say that my biggest concern for us Christians is that we would fall in love with this world because really we're not supposed to fall in love with this world. And in fact, instead of living an all-out life for Christ, I mean, it kind of looks like we're only praying to God when we need him. 
like we're only worshiping him when we only feel him or when the worship sounds good. Let, let, let me tell you a good sign of maturity is when you're able to worship even when the worship band sucks. I mean, it, it, that's, that's huge. In fact, and so I tell my worship team, <laughs> I tell them this because we strive for excellence here. I, I also tell them, like, don't base your worship off everyone raising their hands because mature Christians, we should be able to worship even when someone's clashing cymbals like trash can lids and do like a crazy monkey. I know that sounds silly. I know that sounds silly. But that is a sign of a mature Christian because we're supposed to worship God through and through, not only when we feel like it or we get the chills, which I think sometimes we mistake that thing and, oh, yeah, now the worship's good. Sometimes the worship can be really, really good, but the Holy Spirit's not in it. It's not worship. That's a whole nother sermon. I, I don't think we're ready for that one yet. But I think we can fall in love with this world too much. And when we pray the prayer and we believe that God is here for us, which is true, but if you're not careful, I think we can get caught up in a spiritual complacent in our life, where we're just spiritually complacent, where we think of, oh, this is what God has called us to do, and we try to treat God almost like a holy butler, thinking, God, come serve me, and God, would you fulfill my wish? God, would you meet this needs? And would, you, would you do all this, A, B, and C? And we treat him like this holy vending machine. When we do something good, we put our quarter in, and we wait for something good to come out. And I think when we do that as Christians, we've missed the mark. We've missed the mark. And if we live in a, sp a place of spiritual complacency, we can actually become dull to the sense of urgency that God places over us, you and I, to reach the lost around you. So here's my prayer, because I say all of that, and I know it's kind of choppy, but all of it to come to this kind of the big idea. Here's my prayer for you today as we talk about the hymn, I'll Fly Away. My prayer is that through this message, God will give you hope for eternity, amen? That's something good. Give you hope for eternity, but urgency for today. That, he, I, that hopefully when you walk out of this, that you will have a new and, and brighter hope for heaven, but you will have this urgency in your heart thinking, I've got a mission to fulfill. That I have something to do. That God has, in fact, put a mission and a call on your life that only you can do. My prayer is that you would have that urgency today. So let's take a look at this hymn really quick, and we're kind of going to the, the meat of this message. Uh, the hymn is called I'll Fly Away. It was written in 1905 by the, game, by the guy named uh, Albert Brumley in Spyro, Oklahoma. Anyone know here who Spyro, Oklahoma is? <laughs> Neither do I. I heard it's a really small town, and so... Uh, but it's, it's in Spira, Oklahoma. Um, but this hymn is actually one of the most recorded gospel songs with over 5,000 versions to sing to. That's a lot of versions of this song. So we just picked one for you today. <laughs> but there's over 5,000 different ways to sing this song. And Albert, like most authors, have written this hymn that we sing today. Uh, he, he, written, he, he wrote it out of a place of heartache. In fact, uh, when he, he grew up, he grew up in Spyro, Oklahoma, way back in the day. And at a young age, about five or six, he had to start helping out his uh, family to make ends meet. And so he actually went and started picking cotton out of a cotton field at a young age of five, five years old. And he started helping doing that. Later on through his life, his older brother came down uh, with a really bad uh, sickness, and he died. And it was some type of uh, fever that he had, and he, he died suddenly, so he went through that. And through his whole life, he's, he's lived through poverty and has lived through some just really horrible things that we can you not know, even fathom to think about. And uh, he goes off to college, and this is where he starts writing the song, I'll Fly 
away. He writes the song, I'll Fly Away. And it's during this hardship of helping his family and to put food on the table in the midst of his brother dying of a fever, he found these words. If you guys can find these words, I want to read them together. This is what he wrote. He says this. I'll fly away. Actually, the only one. <laughs> Some glad morning, when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. To a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. When the shadows of this life have gone, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars has flown, I'll fly away. He was asked when he wrote these words in college, he says, man, when, when did you, like, would you find these words? Did you just come up with them? And, like, when, did, when was the song birthed to me? And he says, I was actually, I've been singing this song since I was five years old, picking cotton out of a cotton field. And so through his whole life, he's had this almost hope that at some moment, God's going to come rescue him from this life and take him home. What I want us to realize and recognize in this song is that it's a fun song to sing to, but the words that he writes are very heavy. As he's working, as he's seeing his brother die, as he sees his family starve, and as he sees that they don't know if they can make ends meet, he's praying and wishing to God, saying, God, some morning you're going to come and take me home. Some morning you're going to come and take me home. Have, have, have any of you guys felt like that before? Like, you're, you're just going through, like, God, man, would you just come now and take me home? I would say the answer is probably mostly no. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. And my hope is that as we go from this place, our answer would actually turn into a yes. Because this life is not our forever life. There's actually a point where we wish that God would come and take us home. And so uh, if you read the words, it talks about God coming to take, uh, to take us home. And uh, this is actually an aspect of our faith that actually gives us hope for eternity. Remember, that's my prayer for you, is that you would leave today hope for eternity. This song is actually talking about something that we Christians call the rapture. Everyone say rapture. Rapture. Now, when we say or think of the rapture, there's two sides to this. There's half the people that say, yes, God's coming. The other half is thinking, Oh my goodness, God's coming. And the best way I can think about it is, you know that toy, you know, now I grew up in the 90s, so we didn't have this toy, thank God, um, but there was this toy called Jack in the Box. And you would turn this little crank, it was like, do, 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 do. Now, it was usually kind of in a, like a minor key, so it was super scary. And I, at least it seemed like that way. And it, you're just waiting. Have you guys seen that Will Ferrell uh, elf movie? He's like kind of, he's working that toy and he's waiting for it. Some of us, I think we think of God's return kind of like that. We hear the music off in the background, but we don't know when it's going to happen and it freaks us out a little bit. And so we're sitting here waiting anxiously saying, is it today? Is God coming today? Well, I better be good. He might be coming today. And so I want to kind of debunk all that stuff for you. And I actually want to show you the excitement of God's coming. And so if you're actually not a part of the faith, the faith and you hear this for the first time, I want to warn you, this could sound a little weird. Even if you're a follower of Christ, this could sound still a little weird. But the song is talking about Christ's return, the rapture where we're suddenly taken away in a blink of an eye. And for many Christians, like I said, it, it, it can sound exciting, but for some of us, it can sound a little scary. Um, but we know that this is going to happen because of something that we read in Scripture called prophecy. Now, a lot of the book and a lot of those scriptures in the Bible are prophetic books. Now, 
Let me debunk what prophecy is really quick. Prophecy is not some weird voodoo, rubbing crystal ball, like fortune-telling thing. We don't do that. We stay far, far from that. But what we do know is that God has downloaded into some prophets and some people uh, ages ago talking about God's return, about Jesus' return. Now, we know that this is true because, because there was a time where God downloaded a message into certain prophets talking about Jesus' first coming, which we call Christmas, when Jesus was born. And so what happened was is that he would tell all these different prophets, and he was telling them, no, this is what Jesus is going to do. This is what it's going to look like. And so they would tell the people and say, hey, be on the lookout because this guy named Jesus is going to be the son of God, and he's going to come, in, he's going to come into this world, and he's going to take away your sins, and it's going to be this, this great thing. And so they give uh, details about everything that happened. And all this stuff came true. And if you don't believe me, let me walk through this really, really quick. Just to show you some Old Testament things, different authors predicted the first coming of Jesus hundreds of years before he was even born. This is what they prophesied. They prophesied that he would, born, he would be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which happened. They prophesied that he would come into a city riding on a donkey to be rejected by men, betrayed for a payment of silver, that was Judas, to be betrayed by payment of silver and falsely accused, which all happened. They prophesied that he would stand silently before his accusers, remember between him and Barnabas, and they were sitting there, and Barabbas, sorry, they were sitting there, and uh, Jesus doesn't say anything, and so they actually chose the prisoner over Jesus. That actually happened. They prophesied that his hands and feet were to be pierced, that uh, his body would not actually be broken, there'd be no broken bone in his body. He would give up his life, be buried in a rich man's tomb, rise from the dead, ascend to heaven, and take his seat at the right hand of God, which all happened. And everyone said, this is why we know we can trust the Bible. Because all these different authors, all these different people prophesied this stuff would happen. And it came to pass. Now you're saying, Vaughn, that's in your Bible, and yada, yada, yada. I understand that argument. I seriously do. But if you could do me a favor, save up a few thousand dollars, travel to the Middle East, and tour Israel, you will see even the secular people have books and talked about this guy named Jesus and told about all these different things, where he was born, he, where, why he was accused, he was arrested at night, how he was beaten, and how he died, and how that the tomb is mysteriously empty. You see, we can trust this because this all came true. Now, where am I going with this? Let me kind of show you because there's a lot of backstory to give you this. There are so many prophecies about the first coming of Christ, which is really, really exciting, and we celebrate that. But get this. There are five times more prophecies about the second coming of Christ. Five times more than the first coming of Christ. Which tells me this. God really wants us to know the season in which we are living in. Like, it must be important enough that God is saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to kind of re-communicate this to you so you know the season in which my son is going to come back again and take you home. Why? Because God actually wants you to have hope for eternity, but also have urgency for today. He wants you to have hope for heaven, but he wants you actually to live out every day with purpose. And so today we're going to talk about this eternal hope that we have as Christians that we should actually put urgency in our step in this world. And so I'm going to talk about this thing called the rapture, and we're going to end with some urgency. So the first point in your notes that we're going to talk about is this hope that we have. We have hope in the return. What's the return? The return is Christ is coming again. 
Christ is coming again. John 14, 3, he actually says this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If there were not so, would I have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, what's really interesting about this is that the first century church, they were going through a lot of really bad persecution. Just like even whispering Jesus' name would actually cause you to be arrested, beaten, flogged, or even beheaded. And so they were going through some extreme persecution. But they had this hope for eternity because they would, they would go through this. No one will go through something that they believe is a lie. They believe that this is truth. And so they're going through this thing, but they kind of develop this secret code, almost like a, like a secret verbal handshake, if you will, to encourage one another. And it was actually this word called Maranatha. Everyone say Maranatha. It sounds very similar like Camp Maranatha, right? Same word. But Maranatha is actually a Greek word that simply means this. It says, the Lord is coming soon. The Lord is coming soon. And so every time they would greet one another, whether it's in jail because they were arrested or, or they're out, uh, just out in the marketplace and they see a fellow believer, they kind of look at each other and I, I would imagine kind of secret saying, saying, Maranatha. Like, have hope, the Lord is coming soon. Have hope, the Lord is coming soon. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. This is how Paul described it, actually, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. He says this, says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. And so when they were telling that, saying, hey, the Lord is coming, they're actually talking about his second return. They're talking about, hey, you know what? Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. And Paul, he's giving this description. He's saying, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. So now we're entering kind of a picture of what the rapture looks like. So the first thing that happens, what happens is the trumpet sounds. Now, which is interesting to me because I'm a trumpet player, and I always wondered, why is God so obsessed with trumpets? You read through scripture, there's like trumpet after trumpet after trumpet, blow your trumpet. God, I play guitar, I don't play trumpet. No laughs at that one. Okay, thank you. And so I'm wondering, like, like what's, the, what's, the, what's the significance of, of the trumpet? Did you know the only reason a trumpet is, born, uh, is blown in the Bible is to actually signify a battle that is happening? The only time you blow a trumpet is the one to celebrate. Number two is to go into battle, which is very awesome because when the Lord is coming back, he's not only coming back to take us home, but he's actually come to fight a battle that has been going on for thousands of years. He's coming to put an end to it. And so he's talking about this, this battle, the command to shout when the battle is supposed to begin. And so in this return, Christ is coming again, and he, he does this trumpet to, to give sound, and he's going to give this battle cry, uh, if you'll read the scripture, and it ends with something that can kind of seem kind of spooky, like it's out of the walking dead. He says, first, the believers who died will rise out of their graves. The believers who died will actually rise out of their graves. Now, I would give anything to stay just a little bit longer, to see people's reactions as they're driving by the grave over there on Rodeo Road and they see these dead people coming back to life. Anyone here kind of curious, what's that going to look like? Is that just me? Like you're wondering, like, is it going to be something out of like Zombieland? Is it going to be something kind of like 
what's going to happen, and they're like, are they going to walk out with like decomposed skin, and, uh, and people are like, crashing and all that. Now, those of you who know scripture, stop shaking your heads at me. I'm not preaching that. I'm just saying, this is what, if you read it for the first time, this is what goes through your heads, right? What actually happens is it's just like a seed that dies and gives birth to a plant. It's actually very similar to that, meaning that those who are actually going to come out of the grave are actually going to be in something that we call glorified bodies. What does that look like? It means that you're going to have a stinking good body. Like, no more overweightness, no more all that. I'm going to look very, very good in my glorified body. What it means is that you're actually going to be exactly who God intended you to be in your spirit. Meaning that if you died with sickness, you're going to come back to life with no sickness. If you died with pain, you're not going to experience pain. You're going to come out a totally brand new spiritual being. And that's what that looks like. And that is why we can have this hope. I know this can be like very confusing, but you need to know that Christ is coming again. And those, that, those who have died believing in Jesus, they're going to come back to life. Now, they're in heaven right now, but they're going to come back in a glorified body. And it's going to be a great celebration. And it's one of the things that Jesus is actually going to use to signify his coming. And so, now, kind of get that out of your head. Zombies aren't going to be popping out. Nothing like that's going to happen. You don't need to go off and start a gang and, like, start territories and all that stuff, like Walking Dead. Stay away from that. Far, far from that. Not true. But it's actually going to be something really, really cool to see if you were able to see it. Because it's the first thing that Jesus does when he comes back. Once this happens, the next part begins. And this is actually called the rapture. Now, this is the one that I will share a little story later on with you. But this is actually where living Christians would actually be taken away with Jesus. First Thessalonians 4, 17. He says, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain here on the earth will actually be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There will be with the Lord forever. Now, the word rapture literally means to seize, catch, or actually to take away to safety. Why is that important? It means this. It means that right now in this place, this is not our home. We live in a fallen world. And Jesus is actually going to come back, take us home in this thing called the rapture, and to take us back to safety. And what's, why is this important? Because this is actually what the hymn, I'll Fly Away, is talking about. He's actually talking about this rapture, the main lyrics. This is what, this is what he's, he, he's talking about uh, in your message guide notes when he says this. He says, uh, just a few more weary days and then I'll fly to a land where joy shall never end. I will fly away. That is what he's talking about. I'll fly away. And when all this happens, church, what unfolds will actually be something strange and weird, but it's going to happen super fast. Let me show you how strange this is going to be, and then I'm going to kind of modernize it for you. Verse 39, it says this in Matthew 24. It says, people didn't realize what was going on, going to happen, until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus comes back for this thing called the rapture. He says, two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. Any women here still grind flour at the mill? Okay. Uh, one will be taken, the other one left. Verse 44, you also must be ready at all times, all times, because the Son of Man will come when he's least expected. Let me modify this for you a little bit. It would be like a man and a wife are on a date. One will be taken, one will be left. It will be like a basketball team of 20 going to a game. 12 will be taken, 8 are left. 
It will be like a family of five walking into the doors of a church. Three are taken, two are left. Well, Vaughn, who's taken? Who's, who's, Who's being taken? Who's being left? What's going on? Those who have a relationship with Jesus will be taken. Those who do not will be left. Well, that sounds kind of unfair. I get your viewpoint. I really do. That is why we have to have hope for eternity, but urgency for today. Because my family, just like yours, have people that don't know Jesus. And I would love it for that day, if we are here, when Jesus comes back to take us home. When it says scripture, we're caught up in the clouds. I can look to my left and look to my right and see my family. And I pray that you will experience the same thing. And that is why this is urgent. When the rapture happens, those who love Jesus will be taken to heaven. Those who do not will be left. It sounds kind of like an episode from the Twilight Zone, does it not? It sounds a little freaky. In fact, uh, I grew up in a church that really kind of preached on the end times, and um, it was just uh, at a young age when you don't fully understand it, and I still don't fully understand it. Um, it can be kind of scary, and I'll share this story with you. Uh, I, was about, uh, I was about 12 or 13 years old, and uh, uh, when I was a kid, I was super actually scared of the rapture because I didn't know what was going to happen. I was scared of the rapture, and, uh, and, you know, and I, I saw all the Left Behind movies as a kid. Anyone see the Left Behind movies? Yeah, I saw the Left Behind movies. I had all the Left Behind books. I read them all. I knew exactly what to do if I got left behind. Um, so I thought I was like, good to go. <laughs> um, but no, there's this time where uh, my family, I had to stay back and do some homework, and my mom and dad took the rest of the family. And I uh, said, so we'll see you about in an hour. I'm like, okay, cool. And I did some homework, and I realized that it was like, an, it was like two hours later. I'm like, where's my family at? <laughs> yeah, so don't jump ahead yet. Don't jump ahead yet. And so I'm like wondering, like, where are they at? And so I'm like, so I called my mom. I instantly get voicemail. No worries, whatever. Call my dad, instantly get voicemail. Then something strange happened. All of a sudden, the wind outside stopped and the birds stopped chirping. And every doomsday video, that happens. And so I'm thinking, what in the world is happening? So I look at my neighbors who go to church. They're not home. I'm freaking out a little bit. I look at my other neighbors. They're outside mowing their lawn. I knew how they lived, so I wasn't surprised. They were still here. But I was trying to figure out I was trying to figure out, am I left behind right now? What seemed like for hours, was probably only 20 minutes, I started freaking out. I started, what is going on? I text my mom. The message failed to get sent. I'm like, this is not adding up right now. I got left behind. Jesus left me. So I'm here freaking out, and I'm like, I, I kid you not, I'm sitting there, I'm like, what do I do? Do, do, I, do I go out, and I, I, I left behind books open up, and like, so they started doing this, do I need to go, and getting ready to live on my own as a young 12-year-old, and I'm like, I don't know what's happening, repenting Jesus would be a third coming, and this is all true, this is going through my head, and I'm going through all this, and all of a sudden my mom gives me a text back, says, hey, honey, are you okay? You've been calling us a lot. Lo and behold, second coming didn't happen, so we're good. <laughs> we're good. But that's kind of like how we enter this whole discussion of the rapture and the second coming of Christ. Because some of us, we have this excitement. Some of us, we actually have this fear of what is going to happen. And I want to let you know that the rapture can sound scary, but let me tell you, now that I've come to understand Jesus' love for me and Jesus' return is not actually scary, this thing that we call the rapture should actually give you hope. It should give you hope for eternity, just like it did with this gentleman who wrote, I'll fly away. It actually gave him hope in the midst of his misery. 
It gave him hope in the midst of his misery. Hope for what? This is what we're going to talk about. The third point is this, the reunion. The reunion, where Christians will be with God forever. Where Christians will be with God forever. First lesson, Thessalonians, we've been reading this a lot. We're going to wrap up with this. It says that together with them who are still alive, remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds, still meet with the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. What's the words? Maranatha, Maranatha that the Lord is coming soon. But here's where I want to take it a twist a little bit with this message. Because I talked about how as Christians, we should have this urgency, this hope of yearning for God to come back. But sadly, in our Western culture, Christians don't have that. And that is where my concern that I shared at the beginning of this message, my concern that Christians might have fell in love with this world too much. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. To a land where joy shall never end, I'll fly away. It's the hope that I carry and that you carry with you that this life is temporary, that there will be a day where Jesus will come back again and take us home to be with him, a place where joy will never end in heaven. And our hope is that we will dwell in a place with God forever, a place that has no more pain, that has no more sin, heartache, brokenness, poverty, disease, divorce, uh, loneliness, sickness, murder, hatred, racism, rape, death. Our hope as Christians is that we are actually going to leave this life and enter a new one where none of this exists. Usually at that point, this is where a lot of people start saying amens. But let me, I'm not, I don't want you to, let me share this with you. I had a profound truth that I learned that has stuck with me. And it's kind of right to say it's kind of haunted me in my walk with Jesus. I went to uh, Nicaragua about six years ago and I visited a place called Esteli. In Esteli, there's this poor place where thousands of people lived called Teresa. And in Teresa, it's actually called the barrio. Barrio is Spanish for ghetto. And it's called the barrio. So we would go and do mission work in the barrio. And it, I mean, th these people, I mean, they, 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 they live in horrible conditions. And so there was an opportunity during the missions trip where if you didn't want to do construction work, you can go out and actually visit with the locals. And I, me, being me, I wanted to go visit them. So they, the mission guide took us, and we went out there to visit more in-depth in the barrio. And the more inner works of the borrow that we went to, the worse the conditions were. We got to a place where it was literally just sticks and trash bags over their heads for a house. In the middle of their house, there was a stream that would actually run out and run down the side of the roads, and that was their sewer. And it was just a condition that I'm like, my goodness, like, I complain about my house. I can't imagine living in this. Now, if the conditions weren't that bad, if the conditions weren't bad, they would actually have this culture there that was a horrible culture to live in. Let, let me kind of give it a word. Everyone lived in poverty. No one would make, would make more than 3 to $5 a month, and they'd have to live off that, which is horrible. You can't even buy a Gatorade over there for that much. So they can't buy food. It was very heavily trafficked with the sex trade. 
And so you can see little 9, 10, 11-year-olds prostituting themselves out. Super sad. And on top of that, the men were kind of arrogant and didn't really do too much. And I mean, when you go through a, the Nicaraguan past like we did, it's kind of hard to gain your pride back and to go out and work and do things. The mother, almost every night, every mom that we probably, most of them met, would tuck their kids in at night who were crying because they were hungry, because they had starving pains. And then they didn't know if they were going to wake up the next day because they didn't know if the worms were going to take over. The mother, and if you were a daughter over there, it was very common for you not only to be sex trafficked, but also to be raped. And so they're going through this, and this is everyday culture. This is not like once in a thing. This is not like we only see on Fox. This is like every single, this is their reality, church. Every single day, they live through this. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if they're going to get murdered that night. I mean, we had to have security guards with us during the daytime. They didn't know what was going to happen. And so one night, the church that we built, we had a church service. And these people, they come here, and they were on fire for God. I mean, if you want to see a church on fire, I mean, go to a third world country and visit a a church. It, it, It is crazy on how fire for God they are. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, man, these people don't have anything. Like nothing. I mean, their kids are dying. People are getting raped. People are getting murdered. They don't have anything. They're eating uh, worm-infested food. They have sewers going down the streets in the middle of their houses. They, they, they have no idea. On top of that, Nicaragua is going through a civil war, so people are getting shot in the middle of the streets. I mean, this is, this is what's happening. And the preacher that got up there, he kept on saying this phrase over and over and over and over and over again. And I finally asked our interpreter, I'm like, what is he saying? He says, he's, he, he, keeps on, he says he's preaching about Jesus but he keeps reminding us that Jesus is coming back again. And it, bring, it, it, it strikes my heart right now because that is the only way that the mother can tuck her kids in that, that night, wake up hoping that they're going to be alive the next day. The only hope that they had was that Jesus is coming back again. You see, we in America, we don't get that because we have everything. We think we can take care of ourselves. And so when I talk about when we should have this hope that Jesus is coming back again, we don't understand it because we're okay. And when we fall in that spiritual complacency, it actually dulls us to the hope that we should have that in this life, it's actually better to die because it's actually gain to Jesus. Because this life is not our permanent life. We shouldn't be living through this life saying, Jesus, I'm good. Like, come back in another 10 years, I'll be all right. Because the majority of the world, every single day, the only reason they can get through what they're going through is the very fact that Jesus is coming again. And he's going to take them to a place where they don't have to tuck in their children and wonder if they're going to starve to death or if they're going to wonder if they're going to be raped that day or going to get shot or if their daughter's going to be sex trafficked or their son's going to be in a gang. They don't have to worry about that because that's heaven. I guess guess this is what I'm trying to get to, church. We as Western Christians... I think, I think we believe that we have heaven on earth, and we don't. We think, we, we think that this is so good, and it's not. 
I have it all together, but you don't. I've got the stuff I need. Oh, you, you, you need more than that. The reality of things is you cannot have heaven on earth, but when you live in an environment like Nicaragua, you realize that this life was never intended to be heaven, and we forget the glory of God. We totally forget it. We, 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 we live in our own glory. And I learned that these countries, in a way, I would actually, say this way, in a way are more blessed than we are because they are constantly reminded on who they need to be relying on. Every single day, they have to rely on Jesus. When it comes here, we rely on ourselves. In fact, what, what, what really amazed me was this. There was a, a pastor that visited the underground church in China, and the pastor says, you know what? I'll have my mega church. We're going to pray, and we're going to fast. This persecution will be lifted from you. And this pastor was getting excited, thinking he was doing them a really big favor. And, you know, and, and God might have done that. And the, the Chinese pastor looked at him and says, don't you dare do that. Because once you do that, we're going to turn into the American church. What does that say about our, 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 our relationship with God? And that's why my hope through this message, I know it's stepping on toes, but this is my hope through this message, is that you're going to walk out here, yes, with a high hope for eternity, Jesus is going to come back, but an urgency that we need to get right with God. You need to realize that you need to rely on God. We have hope today, urgency for today. But Paul, he shared another powerful scripture, and he, he says this. He says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. Here's the secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. He's talking about a glorified body. Verse 52 said, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever, and we who are living will be also transformed. So, my dear brothers and sisters, what do we do until that happens? This is what he says. He says, be strong and immovable. We as the American church, we're kind of strong, but we are very fluid in our relationship with God. And he's saying, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is useless. My prayer for today is that you leave today with a new hope for eternity and urgency for today. What's the urgency? The urgency is that, yes, in fact, Jesus is coming again. And time is short. And the prophecies that spoke about Jesus' second coming, many of them have already came to pass. Jesus is coming back soon. There are signs of the times that the Bible gives us to warn us that the times are close. And I want to commission you that because our time is short and Jesus is coming soon, we won't leave this place without doing a few things first. What are those few things? Let's list them out really quickly. Because my time is short, we won't leave words unsaid. Christians, we have words to say. We have encouragement to give, love to express. We will speak words of life, speak blessing over those who love us and hate us, quick to speak forgiveness, slow to speak hate. Because time is close, my time here is short, we won't leave words unsaid. We have words that are truth of God that needs to be spoken to those around us. Do not neglect how unintentional your time is being. 
Your time is short. My time is short. We need to be intentional with the time that is given to us. And man, does it interrupt your schedule. For some of you, the past couple of weeks, it's been in my wife's and my and our, and our heart. We were just filling up gas, and I went to uh, the, the new gas station over there, and there was this couple that had this brand new twins, and they were, uh, the, the mom was nursing them, and the dad was trying to get things ready. You can tell they were traveling through, and, and something just in my heart, and, and if I can be transparent with you, uh, I sinned because I didn't do something. It's called an omission. I didn't do it. But in my spirit, I was told to ask them, do you need anything? And I didn't do it. Well, Vaughn doesn't sound like a big deal. It's a very big deal. Because my time is short and I can't leave words unsaid. There could have been an ordained moment right there, set up perfectly for me to step in and to do what God has called me to do. And I didn't do it because my time is short. We cannot leave words unsaid. We have no idea the words that we hold back. We're also holding back the healing and the mercy and the grace that it brings. Because my time is short, we won't leave words unsaid. Second one, because my time is short, we won't leave deeds undone. Did you realize that you are a masterpiece created by God to do things that he ordains you to do that only you can do? I don't care if you work at a hotel. I don't care if you're at the, tra the, the trains. I don't care if you're at the plant. I don't care if you work at the D.C. I, I don't care if, if, if you're retired. You have a purpose here. Do not go through this life just working for a paycheck. Don't do that. That's the trap that the enemy wants you to be in. Because my time is short, we won't leave deeds undone. You have a heavenly assignment to fulfill, a mission to accomplish. We better get at it, church. We better get at it. Because my time is short, here's the third one. We won't leave hope unshared. We won't leave hope unshared. This life here is not a place to hibernate and to comfortably wait for Jesus to come back. Say that one more time. Earth, this life here, is not a place where we hibernate and wait comfortably till Jesus comes back. This is the time that Jesus gives us to go out and to accomplish the mission he has given us. You have a plan. You have a purpose. There is a rescue mission that we have to go intentionally go out and share the hope of Jesus. Let me ask you this question, and don't answer it out loud. Just ask your, just ask your spirit. The question is this. When was the last time you shared the hope of Jesus to someone? Like, like for real, not like I will pray for you or I will give you this invite to the Rock Church or like I'll call my pastor to help you out. But like, like you are the one that you shared the life-giving gospel to them. It doesn't have to be a complete stranger. It could be someone in your family. It could be your spouse or your kids. But when was the last time you did that? Because that is actually what we are called to do every single day. That's the Great Commission. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm talking not from as, as a perfect pastor. I'm talking as someone that is constantly working on this. Trust me. Because our time is short. When's the last time you shared the gospel to someone? I would say if it's been a few weeks, it's time to hop back on the horse and be intentional with our short time here. Because as Christians, we cannot leave hope unshared. Let me say it this way. Sharing the gospel is a non-negotiable in the life of a Christian. 
Jesus does not ask you if you're an introvert or an extrovert, what your personally personality type is, what your work hours are, it does not matter. When you sign up, when you ask Jesus in your heart and you want to live, this is a non, you do this. You do this. We should live in this life with hope for eternity and urgency for today. The prophecies are there to warn us to get as many people to Jesus as possible to Jesus before the day hits, as the hymn states, where we fly away. There are people that need to know Jesus. And it's our job to bring them there. It's not our job to save. It's our job to bring them there. So who are you bringing? Who are you bringing? Let's pray. Father, I, <laughs> I know for a fact this was not a well-polished message. I know that this wasn't exactly all hyped up and high energy as most of us like, even myself like. But Lord, I read scripture time and time again, and it gives us the warning signs. You're coming back. And Lord, I have family members who don't know you. God, I have close friends that don't know you. I know people who say they are Christian, but Lord, it wakes, it keeps me up at night with things that they are in. God, I want to see you do a work. Father, I pray for our American church. I pray for the Rock Church. God, that we would have this hope as we go from this place, but Lord, that we would have a sense of urgency. God, that this sense of apathy across the American church, Lord, that you would rid of us of that. Lord, we're not called to be here to stand on the sidelines and wait for the next people to come do their turn, to do their part. Oh, Lord, you have called us to do something great. And Lord, I know I fail at this. There are times where you tell me to speak and I don't speak. There are times where you tell me to act and I, I, I sit there and don't do anything. There are times where you tell me to take that step forward, but Lord, I give a thousand excuses as to why I can't. So Lord, would you give us that hope? For eternity and that urgency for today. I've just got one call this morning. Is this if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, He wants to have this relationship with you. In fact, He 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 He, he yearns to have that relationship with you. And it just starts today with a small prayer saying, Lord, would you come in my heart? Would you make me clean? I just want to pray for you. If, if that is you, saying, you know what, I need to get right with God. I need to have this relationship with Jesus that's non-existent. If that is you, would you just slip your hand up saying, I, I want to pray that prayer today. Is there anyone here? Yep. Is there anyone else? Father, would you make us clean? Would you make us new? Lord, would you give us life? In your mighty name. Lord, we thank you for this message. Lord, I pray we hide this in our hearts. In your name.